Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Stuart McNish, coming to you from the studios here at Oh Boy Productions in Vancouver. Today, we have four different guests with varying opinions about the federal government's forays into the housing market. First, there was the B20 stress test that took the legs out from under first-time homebuyers and sent shockwaves through that segment of the market and many say, uh, had impacts that rippled on up through the market. Now, in what appears to be a recognition of the impact of the stress test, Ottawa, in its latest budget, introduced the CMHC First-Time Home Buyer Incentive Program, something the federal government says will allow more middle-income Canadians to fulfill their dream of home ownership by becoming joint owners of their home with their national government. Well, not so fast, say many in the real estate sector, pointing in particular to Vancouver and Toronto. They say that when you add in the maximum income of about $120,000 to qualify, uh, you have to be under that, but you also still have to qualify for the B20 stress test. Well, under those circumstances, the only home you can hope to buy is one that is roughly $520,000 or less, and that is if you can find one. Now, just before we get to this fascinating topic, I want to give you a big shout out to our sponsor. This episode comes to you thanks to the support of Denby at Sandhill. Located in Langley's historic Murrayville, Denby is a collection of just 64 premier semi-detached townhouse residents, featuring homes up to 1,100 square feet, patios that let you expand your living outside, modern kitchens, ample parking and storage, and a walkable community that lets you live, shop, and play. Please check out denbyliving.com and join us for the public grand opening Sunday, April the 14th, and experience Master on Main Living for Yourself. Joining me now is Luke Ramsey, who, interestingly enough, works for a developer that attempts in the mix of their offerings to build homes for young families, the very people that the new uh, home buyer incentive is targeting. He says that his company strives to build quality homes, which no matter which way you divide it up, um, in Vancouver end up costing more than the help the new home buyer incentive provides. Add to that, he himself is a first-time wannabe home buyer grappling with the same issues of affordability. Luke, welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, what's an average 
price that somebody would be looking at right now to buy one of your units, let's well, say a two-bedroom unit, well, if such a thing exists? It's an interesting question. Right now, we have two projects in Vancouver that are completing this spring mm -hmm. and two fairly different um, circumstances of build. One of them, uh, we really had that first-time home buyer in mind. And so uh, what we decided to do there was do mostly family-oriented units, so two and three bedrooms, mm -hmm. um, but try and make them smaller. Um, make them smaller in terms of bedroom sizes that you can fit in the appropriate size bed and there's room to maneuver and there's closet space, um, open concept living space, but not pushing the boundary of too big so that a first time home buyer could go in and live in a space with, you know, enough size, but they're not over their head trying to pay for something that's competing with a single family home range. Okay. Yep. Nice explanation about that place. What would that list for? Well, uh, like our standard two-bedroom plan mm -hmm. would be about 800 square feet. Okay. So, so at uh, 11, call it 1,100 a square foot because we have to sell the whole building. That would be about 880,000, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a pretty hefty uh, bill for a first-time buyer. It is. It is a hefty bill for the first-time buyer. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's a challenging market out there. Right. Yep. And and the federal government recognizes the first-time buyers. You got to get them into the market, mm -hmm. and so they keep making adjustments. But one of them that made it even harder was introducing the B twenty stress test. What was the re the response from people who were your potential buyers following the introduction of the B twenty stress test? Uh, well, I think initially, um, the people who had already pre-qualified for their mortgages and perhaps weren't subject to that right away, um, they were eager to get in the market. Um, and the people that uh, qualified after, obviously, it that just drags down what they can qualify for. And I think real estate in Vancouver is a big industry. Mm -hmm. it, it drives a lot of jobs. Um, a lot of people work and uh, thrive on that industry. And in some ways, they're kind of killing their golden goose by pushing people out of the housing market and slowing down housing um, when by, by this policy. Um, so they might be causing the problem that they're setting out to prevent. Well, you would, you would have felt impact by the introduction of the B20 stress test, did you not? Yeah, I mean, where our targets were for uh, sales started to move down. And working in, on the development side, not on the marketing side, I don't follow it quite as closely. I'm trying to deliver a really high-quality project um, on time and on budget. But uh, from the marketing side, it starts to get a little concerning when prices start to tick down because of policy. So... Does the introduction of the uh, equity partnership uh, for first-time home buyers make any difference to you? Well, listen. I mean, I'm uh, like I grew up in Vancouver. Uh, I like it here. I like uh, I. You know, I'm a young professional, and I'm looking to buy my first home. So, so not only are you in this business, you're looking to buy your own your own first home. Yeah, that's right. And. Um, you know, I consider myself lucky to live in Vancouver and um, have a good job and those sort of things. Um, but I would like if the government were to respond to those things and encourage people to live in cities. And what they've said by this cap on on um, income on this income mm -hmm. is that it's either a going to only help people outside and and um, or it's going to drive people out to commute. And I think. Uh, more where we are now where people are trying to be green they're trying to be ecologically friendly they want to walk or bike to work 
um, this is going to start pushing people out who can now afford to buy something in uh, sort of rural Vancouver rather than staying in the city. And so I see that uh, sort of gap in, um, in the policy they've created uh, that doesn't necessarily align with some of their other policies in terms of um, trying to create a, a sort of equal playing field for everybody. What do you think they should have done? And I know that you're not the politician, but in talking to you already, I can see that you're a fairly thoughtful person and you have a broad perspective. How would you have addressed it differently? Knowing that you're wearing two hats, one the development side and the other is that you're a first time home buyer. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a difficult question. I'm not a policymaker and I don't strive to be. No, but policies are driven by the opinions of the people who uh, live in any constituency. Sure. Um, I guess one thing that uh, would have been nice to see is uh, government encouraging um, builders to build more uh, through incentive programs like, uh, you know, we've seen some incentive programs in the past for lower interest rates for rental rental, um, for example, uh, that's going to allow people to stay in the city at a lower cost of living. Um, doing a similar type program where they, you know, as a developer, it's, it's hard to lock in your interest rates as well. And we pay an extraordinary amount uh, to the banks during construction, and that just gets passed over to the home buyer. So the government having access to, um, to sort of, I guess, a, a large financial capacity more than a bank would uh, they're flexing those muscles with this program they could do the same by helping developers um, with uh, lower interest rates and then ensuring that they pass that on to the buyer okay. i think if i'm wearing both hats that would be the perfect the perfect world for me well that's pretty innovative insightful thinking uh, and hopefully they're listening yeah, well, we'll see, yeah. Because we do have a real need. We have to address affordable housing for people who are just like you, you know, up-and-coming professionals that want to be able to live and work close to where they, uh, like, where they are so that they aren't going into those long commutes. Mm -hmm. I think it's innovative thinking, and uh, hopefully they're listening because we need to address this problem. Yeah, I mean, for people everywhere like me, it is, it's challenging to get into the market the first time. And uh, as a developer, you know, we're, we're always faced with people putting up barriers to constructing new homes. And at the end of the day, the more homes, the more affordable things become. If we limit the amount of homes that are being constructed and people want, it's the demand goes down and the, um, or sorry, the demand stays high and the supply goes down. Yeah. And so the, the prices are going to go up. Exactly. Um, so if they create policy that helps uh, more houses to get created, more homes to get built, uh, I think that will overall help the affordability issue and it will help the economy and I think it will help everybody. Great. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing that with us. Thanks for your time. Joining me now is Rob Reagan Pollock, who is even more firm in his determination that the Home Buyer Incentive Program will do little to improve access to ownership in housing for first-time buyers. Rob, you're the Vice President of the BC Chapter of the Canadian Mortgage Brokers Association. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. 
you're in the mortgage business. Correct. You're seeing a tremendous amount of changes right at the moment, partly because of the fluctuations in the market, but also based on what governments are doing. And the most recent thing, of course, is the uh, introduction by the federal government to now become, in essence, equity partners for first-time home buyers up to a certain point. <laughs> Was this a good thing to do? from your perspective? Yeah, from my perspective, uh, I can see where the government is really between a, a rock and a hard place. Personally, from my perspective, no. You know, as industry and association in the mortgage business, we'd like to see them deal with more of the fundamental issues or foundational issue of, of getting supply to the market faster uh, to address affordability. Really what they've done is they're focusing on levels of indebtedness with Canadians. That is actually like very clearly the number one concern that government has is the level of indebtedness with Canadians. Mm -hmm. So by offering equity participation, they're not really entering into the markets and affecting you know the price of homes you know affordability directly what they're well, saying not at is all. not this at all this doesn't do anything yeah. as no. far as affordability is concerned no it doesn't yeah. what it does well it does in a sense that now you are having access to more interest-free debt from the government so you can access more from your rsps you can access um either sure. five, yeah five percent from the resale market or ten percent for new construction to, to bring down the cost so you're paying less interest so you're Technically, you're paying less than a monthly payment. So the example the government gave was, say, a $400,000 home. Uh, you're going to be where, paying... where do you buy one of those? Well, you can't. Not. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's kind of a, an Ottawa-centric policy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really work for Toronto or Vancouver or some of the, the larger markets. Right. So, but say it was a four hundred thousand dollar condo, for instance, mm -hmm. new construction. You say hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, speaking <laughs> yes. exactly. No, you're right on that, Stu. So, you know, but what it does is it will lower the monthly payment for that borrower by about two hundred dollars a month. So, you know, are they semantically affecting, you know, affordability? You know, is it less for them for those who participate in the program? Yes, but it's a very narrow segment of the market, and mm -hmm. it doesn't deal with industry's concerns about getting supply to the market faster. Which, uh, yeah. Now, and you're not in the development industry. You're in the mortgage business. Exactly. I mean, let's. So you're a mortgage broker. Correct. Let me take just a quick little sidebar for anybody who doesn't quite understand what the role of a mortgage broker is. Sure. What role do you fulfill in helping people to purchase property? Yeah, so we're independent advisors. We work with the public. And the idea with our independence is to be able to understand what their goals are when purchasing real estate and then finding the correct lender and the right mortgage plan to meet their long-term needs. Mm -hmm. So are you working for that lender or do you just find lenders that are looking to uh, support a yeah, purchase? Yeah, so, you know, the way I'm, I'm, the company that I'm with, we're fully independent. So we're not associated with any lending institutions. So we're really here to work on behalf of the consumer and finding them the best mortgage for their needs. So when we take a look at this latest uh, inducement from the federal government, it's a, re a revision. It's another way of uh, tinkering with the B20 stress test. Right. Um, you say it's not it's not making a difference, particularly in a market like Vancouver. Will it affect yeah. anybody in in the Vancouver, Greater Vancouver, Fraser Valley region? Yeah, so I think in the lower mainland, yes. I mean, it is possible to have new construction coming onto the market within the parameters of the new program. So I can just sidebar to the program where they say the maximum, it is designed for middle-class Canadians, so it's for mm -hmm. incomes up to 120000 
uh, up to a maximum of four times that. So the ceiling from what we're seeing would be 480,000 for a purchase price. So a new construction, they would grant up to 10%. Um, and you still have to meet the qualification with you know 5% down from your own resources and be able to qualify for your mortgage uh, mm -hmm. based on the on the benchmark stress test, which is which is still there. So as you're explaining that, I'm going, okay, well, hang yeah. on a second. Does that apply it's to the first $480,000 <laughs> in the value of the property? No. Or if the property exceeds $480,000, forget it, it's forget not it. on the top, it's on not, the table. Yeah, it's not on the table. Well, then how do I get started? Yeah, so you would need if to be- If I can't find a place, and that's, and that's for new construction. Correct. Yeah, for, well, that's, that's for the program period. That's our right. understanding. So, so it yes. would be 10% for new construction, 5% for, for resale. For resale. Yeah. So if I managed to find something for $480,000, but it was a resale, mm -hmm. they're only going to come in at up to 5%. Correct. That's right. And they'll be on title with that uh, purchaser. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that when the home is sold down the road, uh, that that 5% is reimbursed. So it's an interest-free loan is, is really what it right. is. So, you know, it is an equity participation mortgage to help, you know, reduce the carrying costs. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to address affordability that way. But the B20 stress test, so, you know, by way of numbers, if we go back to last year to 2018 when the B20 stress test was uh, introduced, it yep. reduced buying power for first-time homebuyers by about 20%. It reduced it by 20%. Reduced it by 20%. Which doesn't do anything as far as affordability is concerned. As a matter Zero. of fact, it makes houses less affordable. Yeah. So what you've done is really you haven't addressed demand because there's still demand for housing. Mm -hmm. But what you've done is you've taken more people who wanted to own out of the market. And now you've put more pressure on an already exacerbated rental market. Mm -hmm. So Tom Davidoff <laughs> uh, at uh, Sauter School of Business, he thinks that this uh, new proposal of equity ownership in, in housing by CMHC mm -hmm. is a good plan. That it's mm -hmm. a good thing mm -hmm. uh, in under the right circumstances. He actually thinks that the government could negotiate a little bit harder. And depending on the length of time that the property is owned, that the government should be uh, getting a, a greater return than 10%, especially when there's if there's an escalation in value. But... Mm -hmm. Despite that, he says, this is a good idea. And I guess in principle, it makes sense. But if it doesn't apply to the real world... Yeah, and I guess that's the thing is that, you know, people who live in rural communities or don't live in, you know, Vancouver or Toronto or greater uh, uh, the capital district of Victoria... Um, trying to think of other areas where you're, you're going to struggle um, getting into housing for $480,000. But, you know, uh, for the majority of Canadians, the Canadian government, and I think their numbers are accurate, um, re real estate sales are down across the country. Mm -hmm. And they're down, you know, depending on the jurisdiction, could be 10 to 30 percent. House prices have been falling. It's not really the intended uh, purpose of the stress test to bring housing prices down. No, that wasn't its intended no, purpose no, at all, was no, it? No, not at all. Uh, it was really to reduce the amount of debt that consumers are carrying. But the unintended consequence is that that, along with combined interest rates, have forced prices to come down. So you have seen about a 6% overall improvement in affordability. Now, if you take, you know, as Tom says, new construction out in the Fraser Valley, let's say Chilliwack or Abbotsford, uh, and you're able, able to buy new for 400, you know, 480. Maybe Mission. A, maybe Mission. Right? I know the Mission, <laughs> that it's, a, it's a good market. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, now you're getting a 10% uh, bump in affordability, a 6% reduction in values because of the unintended consequences. You're almost back to where the stress test was. So mm -hmm. I can see the government's claim credible in the sense that they're probably going to help another 100,000 Canadians get into housing. Across the country. Across the country, correct. But not in the greater Vancouver, Fraser no. Valley region. No.
No. <laughs> and, and so this then becomes a challenge. It you does. know, you touched on, you know, what was the intent of the of the stress test? Let's let's mm-hmm. go back and take a look sure. at that. Because yeah. this was legislation that wasn't introduced by uh, initially by the Liberal government. It came in under yeah. the Conservatives. Yes, exactly. Uh, because they had a concern mm-hmm. that uh, we were overextended, and you know, with the consequences of the 2008 meltdown in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate concern, um, definitely. But it's been revised, yes. and so you know, what was the original intent? Intent. What does it become? Yeah. So the original intent was to encourage prudent underwriting principles. So really, it was you know from the cautionary tale of of the meltdown is what can lenders be doing now to mm-hmm. ensure more stability, and instead of going on you know a formula based um, you know um, what's the word I'm looking for here paradigm or yeah, formula-based paradigm of, of, you know, if we have so much out, we have to keep so much reserves, you know, it was prescriptive. Mm-hmm. It became more of an active management. So where are you with your portfolio? You know, are you stressed in your portfolio? How are your people and mortgages really doing? Mm-hmm. And making sure that if there are some risks uh, in that portfolio, that you take corrective measures, that you set, set aside more reserve capital, you know, you look at, you know, trying to divest yourself of that type uh, of, of lending in your portfolio. So making sure that you are doing everything you can so that's you know yeah so which is reasonable you know it's prudent thinking it is it is absolutely but But with the revisions (laughs) um so what they said is that despite them reducing the types of products that would be available to consumers and lenders being prudent the debt levels were still accumulating Mm -hmm. predominantly in my opinion based on record low interest rates because those interest rates stayed low for a very very long time and there's a number of people who said that that may have been one of the uh, uh, significant contributors to rising uh, prices because people had mm-hmm. access to money. They mm-hmm. can afford to bump up their bid. Well, exactly. Because yeah. people trade really on cash flow. It's like, how much is coming in? How mm-hmm. much is that going to cost me? So when rates of interest you know, fall to record low levels, they can carry a staggering amount of debt for a relatively low payment. Yes. So, so that's exactly what we saw. So what it did then is in the revision in 2017, B20 moved over to insured mortgage where for people that were you know first-time buyers especially those who are who are vulnerable they wanted to make sure that they weren't borrowing at their you know at their capacity at their maximum capacity capacity in a time of record low rates so they made sure that they could qualify on the benchmark qualifying rate which is about two percent higher than their actual contract so in principle it's not a bad idea to think that way yeah i mean it's always good for people to live below their means right Um, so it did force that um and that was good for, for first-time buyers um, because if they qualified uh, at the benchmark rate, um, CMAC also limited the threshold to be a million dollars for an insured purchase, so it took out some of the higher-value properties. So that did have an impact on first-time buyers, and we did see the unintended consequence of that, of more people having to stay in the rental market longer before mm-hmm. buying. But the you know uninsured market continued to, to carry on. So because it didn't stem the values and the levels of rising debt, uh, the government decided in 2018 to revise B20 again yes. to uninsured mortgages, You know what we also know as conventional mortgages. Mm-hmm. And that was the one that really hit the market because in addition to those revisions, uh, some of the asset-based lending that we saw where people you know, are sitting on large property values, mm-hmm. banks were able to have a certain amount of flexibility in their policies and their guidelines right. to say, okay, well, since you have so much equity uh, and you have income from a variety of sources, we're going to take this global income as opposed to your personal qualifying income. 
So that was also part of it. So qualifying at a stress test, but also now everything has to be proven based on income, not you know your worldwide income or your whatever you're reporting in Canada. So, so that caught a lot of people as well. Well, and as you point out, it then makes the cost of entry into the market more expensive for a first-time buyer. Absolutely. What are the long-term consequences of denying access to the real estate market to first-time buyers? Because I can't help but think, well, if you're not building equity, how are you going to get ahead in, in mm -hmm. any kind of real estate market? Yeah. Well, we're starting to see that. We're starting to see people leave. Uh, you know, there are labor shortages here in Metro Vancouver. So for people who can't really get themselves established or necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, get the careers they want or be able to get into housing and build equity, they go elsewhere. Right, and that's a terrible consequence for for a growing, you know, a growing economy like Metro. Metro. Well, the other thing, and I learned this uh, term just the other day. I thought it's a very interesting uh, concept with the cost, uh, where wages are at, and now the the stress test and and the means that are required to get into the market. Mm -hmm. We're insuring a class of rental serfs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, like, there's not a chance of getting out of that rental mix yes because all these things combined prevent you from entering ownership the ownership market yeah and that's a very valid point Stu. and what i like about what you said there is that that is exactly what's happening so by denying the ability for people to get in because of tighter credit conditions they are destined to stay in the rental market that mm -hmm. much longer and you know the the reality is too that in metro vancouver here we have about thirty thousand new people arriving every year that in itself requires 17,000 new homes to mm -hmm. be introduced into the market. doesn't matter if they're condos or rental units, but there's a lag. Um, and there's also a lag on federal regulation. So I'm going to go back a little bit in time to part of this prudence with B20. Uh, developers who want to bring units uh, mm -hmm. you know, to market uh, were also told by lenders to be prudent. So before some of the banks now could give development financing uh, for multi-unit projects, the project has to meet a certain number of pre-sale requirements. Yes, right. And that was initially, <laughs> but and that was initially designed mm -hmm. to protect the home buyer. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You yes, you make your <laughs> deposit. It goes into trust. The developer can't touch that until they hit a certain. Uh, uh, pre-sell exactly. threshold, but that all slows down the process. And well, uh, yeah. yeah, it does. So that's the thing is that we're, you know, we're now with the housing, you know, even though we see cranes and lots of activity, all of those units have virtually been pre-sold. It's, you know, through a permitting process, the pre-sale requirements. I mean, we're really mm -hmm. satisfying demand that was there three, four years ago. So even though it looks like things are happening, it, it's slow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while I applaud, you know, the municipality and the provincial government for collecting additional taxes and, you know, being, you know, tough on foreign and, um, you know, foreign speculators, as, as they're calling them, uh, and these taxes are coming in, it takes time for those taxes to be collected to then be rolled out into new units for people to rent. Mm -hmm. So I think BC Housing stat was around 3,500 units uh, were, were being brought out last year. Yeah. Um, but when you look at 17,000 units being needed, you know, if they're nowhere not, near enough. No, no, exactly. Right. Right. So, what, <laughs> not that you can write the legislation, but your no. wish list and, and the way that you would like to see this changed, just yeah. to recap, is that you say, let's turn our attention away from this and put it into supply. Yes. 
Yeah, so let's get a consolidated land use plan. I mean, I do applaud the federal government for putting $2 billion in for infrastructure. That infrastructure spend could be used for transit. It could be used for land use planning. Mm -hmm. The feds are sitting on land. The municipalities are sitting on land. So is the province. Where can we get density? Where can we get infrastructure? And let's get this, you know, these permitting processes and, you know, community amenity contributions, like this whole process for developers to get approval now, especially in the city of Vancouver, mm -hmm. is taking an inordinately long time. Yeah. Then you have the pre-sales on top of that. That's why we're meeting demand that was there three, four years ago and not the current demand. Well, let's hope that, they're, that they are rushing towards that in, or in that direction. Yeah, uh, exactly. you know, one can hope. Uh, and and there, even at that, there are no easy solutions right now. Well, well, no. And as industry, what we'd like to see is some flexibility. Uh, I understand prudence, but, you know, 10-year mortgages now, I mean, interest rates now are starting to fall again. And, you know, we've asked the government, so we understand you don't want people to be overly leveraged. Mm -hmm. So, and the stress test is 2% above their contract rate. But if someone in a 25-year amortization is taking a 10-year term, and they're first-time buyers, why can't we qualify them at the 10-year 3.99 rate? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to use 599? 10 years is a long time. They're going to have career growth. Their incomes are going to go up. Their maturing balance is low. So there's some common sense that we would like to see applied. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're listening to us, but so far they haven't done anything. <laughs> Thanks for coming in and sharing this insight. My pleasure. We've reached out to Brad Henderson in Toronto, the CEO and president of Sotheby's Canada, who in a future episode will be sharing insights from the company's recently released report on how young Canadian families change their lifestyle and forego many things as they strive to save for a down payment on their first home. Today, however, we're focused on the impact of the federal government's tinkering with eligibility for mortgages, those being the B20 stress test and the newly introduced CMHC home buyer incentive. Welcome. Thanks for joining me from Toronto. Uh, you and your company pay an awful lot of attention to trends as far as uh, first-time home buyers are concerned. Why is it important that we pay attention to what's happening in that uh, first-time home buyer market? Yeah, well, the uh, a lot of the first-time home buyers are either uh, older uh, millennials or younger Gen Xs, and these are the people that are going to become the new affluents as they. Uh, grow and develop and, and develop their careers, uh, they will become the new um, uh, emerging class of, of uh, affluence. And as an unprecedented amount of money changes hands from the baby boom generation to that generation and other generations, uh, they will have more wealth than, uh, than they've had previously. And many people will say that it's going to be the single largest transfer of wealth. So mm -hmm. for us, it's, it's, uh, we serve the market that exists today but we're also mindful of the market that will exist in a number of years. So what happens if these people have trouble right now getting into the housing market? What, what will be the consequences downstream as we see that transfer of wealth unfold? Well, right now, uh, you know, the, the older generations are living longer and uh, the wealth transfer is taking a lot longer than it has in the past. Mm -hmm. And in the interim, uh, because housing prices not just in Vancouver and Toronto, but really uh, in many uh, cities across the globe have increased so much, they've become more and more detached from average incomes. You know, the, the catch line is that the average income earner couldn't afford the average house 
uh, in Vancouver or in Toronto. Right. And so that's frustrating uh, what many would call the Canadian dream of home ownership. And, and uh, some people thought that millennials were really more fickle than they, than they are and that they were, were um, not wanting to buy homes, not wanting to uh, be attached down. They wanted to travel. They wanted to do, uh, be a part of the sharing economy. And the, the research work that we did with the Mistel Group um, actually brought some light uh, to that particular uh, subject because it was the case that uh, if price was no object, if cost was no object, uh, more millennials, more what we're calling the uh, uh, young affluences, would, would rather own a detached home uh, for all of the reasons that many of us uh, have always wanted to own a home, larger space, um, having some yard outside and being a part of a community. Uh, but of course, price is a factor, and that was the number one deterrent from, from people being able to afford homes. So how is this affecting their lifestyle choices, their behavior, the way that they work, the way they save, uh, what they focus on? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question because more and more of uh, their budget is going towards housing, whether it's paying mortgages or paying rent. Uh, and, and people are doing a number of, of different things in order to, uh, to try and um, afford a home. Uh, particularly, we noted in Vancouver that there's a lot of incidences of basement apartments where, uh, you know, a younger person would buy a home, rent out the basement as a way to offset some of the, the mortgage and other costs of, of owning a home. Uh, certainly, in one of the other studies we did with the Mistel Group, we found that there was a higher incidence uh, than previously of older generations wanting to gift money to their children, specifically uh, for the purpose of buying a home, and, and that had not necessarily been as big a factor 10 or even 15 years ago. So <clears throat> a couple of things there, you talk about renting out a basement suite as a mortgage helper, but first of all, you have to be in a position where you own the house to be able to do that. And so, you know, what are uh, this next generation of home buyers doing to trying to be able to even be in a position where they can afford the down payment? How is that starting to affect the, the quality of their lifestyle? Yeah, I, it, it uh, you know, again, in some of the research that Mistel Group did with us it, it is that they are going without uh, a lot of things. And some of the, the things that are uh, easy to give up, uh, but perhaps uh, you could say are, are taking away from the quality of life is, is entertainment uh, outside of the home, major purchases, you know, cars, other uh, larger ticket items, uh, travel and trips are other items that they've, they noted in the survey that they've gone without in order to be able to try and, and, and save enough money for a down payment. Well, I noted that it also it pointed out uh, that they were um, holding off on buying clothing or electronic uh, uh, devices like they'll let that computer go an extra year or two, even though it may its operating system may be falling out of date. That there's a wide variety of sacrifices that they're having to make in quality of life because the average income as you pointed out, won't allow them to afford an average house. Right. And so, yes, there was a long list, and, and the, the items that you mentioned were on the list, definitely not, not quite at, at the height of some of the other items that I mentioned, but absolutely they're looking at all ways to be able to um, have more money in savings, to be able to therefore put into a home, get into a home, and, and even after they're in the home, uh, many of those items may have to be foregone, 
uh, in order to make uh, monthly uh, mortgage payments. So how is this contributing to uh, new home and uh, resale home markets right at the moment? Is it putting a damper on, on the market on its own, or is it part of a larger picture? Uh, it's definitely a part of a larger picture, and I think uh, the, the you know the new affluents, if you like, are a bit frustrated uh, by the situation, uh, and the people that are you know either the older Gen Xers or the uh, the baby boomers, they're the ones who are predominantly buying, particularly the more expensive houses uh, in places like Toronto and Vancouver, and and so that is is. You know that market is is reacting to different uh, factors that are going on than just the affordability question. You know, certainly in Vancouver, there have been a number of of um, uh, well, let's 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 take it overall in Canada because of the uh, federal government and OSFI tightening um, mortgage uh, regulations as well as uh, rising interest rates. Uh, th that's created headwinds for all of the markets in in Canada. Uh, but specifically in Vancouver, there have been a number of provincial and municipal policies implemented, which have ad added additional uh, headwinds to the point where now the market in, in Vancouver in particular has seen a significant decrease in the number of homes that are bought and sold. Well, let's start with the B20 uh, stress test. That immediately meant that you got less of a house for what you could afford a down payment on when that came in if you were a first-time home buyer. Is it time that we revisit that policy? Yes, well, um, many people have been calling for, uh, you know, OSFI and the federal government because there's two different policies going on here. One is for uh, insured mortgages and one is for uninsured mortgages. The effect is, is, effect is the same, mm -hmm. uh, but the stress testing, when you were doubling an interest rate that was, you know, 75 basis points or 1%, is very different than an environment where interest rates are now at 1.75%, at least the prime overnight lending rate is, and mortgage rates are, are considerably higher than that. And so when you're doubling it now, it's, 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 it's compounding the challenge, uh, particularly that new home buyers have, but it's also causing some effect to uh, buyers uh, of more valuable homes. And so many are calling for the government to cap or to uh, look at relaxing that stress testing, but the government in particular is very worried about the overall debt uh, ratio that the average Canadian has, and so it has heretofore not really wanted to uh, to change that. So there, there's an argument on both sides, and uh, I think as interest rates continue to rise, um, that that argument will become even more um, heated. So that concern from the federal government, of course, stems back to what we saw happen in the United States in 2008. But the dynamics of that market in the U.S. were considerably different than lending practices in Canada. So does the B20 stress test really address a Canadian issue? I recognize that we have to pay attention to the fact that people may uh, have high levels of debt, but they're not the same kind of risky mortgages uh, that we were seeing in the United States going back, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and you look at the Canadian banking industry, and it's, it's dominated by the large banks. Uh, the estimate is that well over 80% of all mortgages in Canada are with the major banks. And that the average debt to ratio, uh, you know, how much debt a person has on average to the home is 50%. Uh, 
and the default rate in Canada is is very very low. You compare and contrast that to what was happening in the United States prior to 2009, 2008. Uh, where banks were lending uh, to customers well over 100% of the value of the home because homes were going up so quickly, the banks figured that the mortgage would be, uh, you know, would start to be covered uh, in a short period of time. And people uh, in, in the United States, there's a lot of non-recourse loans, which non-recourse mortgages, which means that if you do not pay your mortgage, all, the worst they can do is take your house. So, when the financial crisis hit, what happened was that a lot of the mortgages that were out there were higher than the value of the property underlying. And so people walked away from their property. Uh, yes, they may have lost some down payment or some uh, cont contribution that they made to the property early on, but it was modest when compared to having, having to pay a mortgage on a, on a property that isn't worth what the mortgage is worth. So that created a glut of, of uh, homes on the market. Uh, that led to further increases, that led to further defaults, and so on and so on. The situation in Canada, obviously, very different uh, than what was happening then, and, and is, has become even more um, uh, solidified after the financial crisis, because even though the Canadian banks weren't that affected, uh, they took measures uh, to de-risk their portfolio and make sure that uh, they would be able to withstand any kind of a systemic uh, challenge to the financial uh, sector in Canada. Yeah, and of course we haven't seen that happen. And, and so it does raise the question, do we need to take a look at the impact that the B20 stress test is having on first-time homebuyers, especially in markets like Toronto and Vancouver, where the price uh, is pretty high. And to get to reach that point where you want to have enough money for the down payment, you're doing an awful lot of foregoing meals and buying new clothes and, and, and even owning a car, as you, as you pointed out, are some of the measures that, uh, that these new first-time home buyers are, are, are doing. And so then that also has a, a ripple-out effect on the rest of the economy. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I think that the, the federal government, the Bank of Canada, uh, provincial governments, even municipal governments, have all worried about the same challenge. And, and certainly in Vancouver, uh, prior to the middle of 2016, and in Toronto, prior to the first quarter of 2017, uh, the markets were un unsustainable. Uh, property values were rising in double-digit uh, proportions on a year-over-year -year basis. There were multiple offers on um, on properties. Uh, you know, to use uh, Chairman Greenspan's uh, expression, ir irrational uh, exuberance uh, was taking over in both in Toronto and uh, Vancouver, and people were looking at this as a short-term speculation to, to make a lot of cash. So many of the policies that were put in place were uh, intended to try and bring about a soft landing. One of the challenges that we noted early on was that they weren't really being coordinated. Uh, in other words, everyone was coming at it from their own unique vantage point, and, and we worried that we might overshoot the mark and, and actually avoid a soft landing and have more of a hard landing uh, which I think is 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 a little bit more what's happening in, in Vancouver these days because there are just so many different um, market shocks that the uh, the market is trying to absorb. So uh, you know, you asked the question, uh, you know, should we be looking at stress testing and should we be monitoring it? And there are a number of groups, the Home Builders Association and others, that are 
that are calling for that. And I do think that at some point in time, it does make sense uh, to revisit that policy because it's just another one of the headwinds that is not only um, slowing down the market, but it really isn't bringing about the goal and objective of affordability because prices haven't really decreased. And if you want to look at a market like Calgary, where it is so uh, hyper-dependent on oil and the oil industry, there's a market where uh, the, you know, the fundamentals of that market, it's, it's GDP growth, it's, it's uh, unemployment rate, et cetera, are all going in the wrong direction. <clears throat> Yet that market still, uh, it still has value from a real estate perspective. The, 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 the rates or the, the value of real estate hasn't come off much more than about 10% from peak to trough. So if people are waiting for there to be a significant price correction in Toronto or Vancouver, uh, you know, I don't think that, uh, that that's going to come about for all of the reasons we've talked about. So the federal government seems to recognize that they need to create a, some kind of incentive or relief for first-time home buyers. And so in the last federal budget, they introduced, um, you know, measures for homes that are new and, and resale homes directed at those people who make less than $120,000. But when you add it all up, um, anybody who's wanting to buy, especially into Toronto and Vancouver, this doesn't make any difference. What was your reaction to, to this uh, from the federal government during the budget? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I think it was a, a good start. And, and I, I don't mean to be critical, but as you just highlighted, uh, it isn't uh, enough that it's going to change a lot of people's ability to, to buy and own a home. Also, I think there needs to be more study because they're still working out the various policy aspects of it uh, because it could be the case that... Um, uh, if you borrow that money or if you accept that money, that you're also accepting uh, that the federal government will take part of the appreciation in your home uh, down the road. And, and you can argue that that's fair, but it also uh, will frustrate what it is that uh, we're all trying to do in terms of, of solving the affordability question. I think ultimately <clears throat> um, policies that involve uh, generating more supply uh, is is what's going to make the difference and and different kinds of supply because right now uh, we're we're lacking in terms of quote unquote the missing middle uh, in terms of the market so we do have you know very small apartments and condos and things like that 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 can handle the um, very low income earners but and we have certainly the average home in Toronto Vancouver and 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 higher are 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 for other people with higher incomes or higher amounts of net worth <clears throat> but you know for that person who's you know somewhere under $120,000 and is struggling to get a, a down payment uh, I think all different alternatives from a housing perspective can can help and I think different alternatives from a financing perspective can help you know some people had said you know potentially um, reducing the stress testing for first-time home buyers or buyers of new homes uh, which is going to help to uh, generate a supply of additional housing stock. And I think some of those policies uh, have some good foundation and good thought to them because it will help with, with what we're trying to do. So, you know, again, I, I think it was a good start for the government. I think the, the fact that they're putting housing on the uh, agenda and a housing strategy on the agenda is a good thing because it means that Parliament will have to revisit it on an annual basis. I think also that most of the major cities are 
uh, escalating the housing situation uh, to be becoming a major policy initiative because they recognize that if people can't afford to live in a place like Toronto, Vancouver, then increasingly they'll find employment and and uh, and ultimately live in some other uh, jurisdiction, which um, is not allowing the the cities to grow and their tax base to grow, et cetera. Oh yeah, the consequences of of not addressing this can be far-reaching, and they can stagnate the growth of a city for decades. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your insights with us, uh, and. Please, can we invite you back in the future uh, to take a look at how this plays itself out over time, especially if we start to see some movement in the market? What are so, Then what will be some of those trends? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. And that brings us to our final guest for this show, Tom Davidoff, who says that while the home buyer incentive program might be a blunt instrument that isn't perfect for all markets, he says Canada is much more than just Vancouver and Toronto, and says people who live in other places will benefit from what he says is an innovative idea. Tom, welcome. Real pleasure to be here. Thanks, Stu. There's a couple of people that we've got on this program who go, eh, you know, the new CMHC home and first-time home buyers incentive program, nice idea, but when it comes to Vancouver, Toronto, it doesn't really work. You maintain, despite that, this is a good idea. Why do you believe that it's a good idea? Well, of course, there's the possibility it won't go anywhere, but I think it is a good idea for a couple of reasons. One is it doesn't have a lot of application to Vancouver and Toronto. So, and you think that's a good thing? In a way, it's a, it's a feature rather than a bug because uh, CMHC has some challenges. One is affordability in places like Vancouver and Toronto. People want to get into the market. They want to buy. Renting's a real challenge, so of course that's an issue. On the other hand, they're in the business of mortgage loan insurance, mm -hmm. and they've had the alarm bells. They've got their color code of how risky uh, each market is in terms of a possible downturn, and Toronto, and particularly Vancouver, has been flashing red for a while, and we're seeing the beginning of a slowdown. So they also have to be careful not to have prices go uh, too high in Vancouver and Toronto. Because and there's very real consequences for that, too. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's well, well, as, as, as taxpayers, should the mortgage loans go bad, we're on the hook because CMHC, when the bank loans to an individual, a third party is CMHC owned by the taxpayers, which says if the borrower doesn't repay the bank, the taxpayer makes up the difference. And mm -hmm. that difference uh, gets to be big when prices fall a lot and prices fall a lot potentially after they've risen a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, making matters more intricate, Prices, you know, can be driven upwards by the presence of first-time buyers, right? Because that push from the bottom of people entering markets uh, can do a lot to push housing prices up. Obviously, we saw that in the states uh, mm. in the early 2000s, and the consequences were bad both for the government uh, and the private sector. So turning to this home, part, uh, home loan program, it's difficult to get a place for less than 520000 in Vancouver and Toronto, certainly downtown. Mm -hmm. With an income of less than uh, 120, that's all you're going to be able to pay for, and that's been the problem. So there will be people getting in in peripheral areas, yeah. and those are, of course, the buyers who are you know, the most in need of government support. But it is true that probably, as a share of the market, this mm -hmm. program may be smaller in Vancouver and Toronto than the rest of the country. But that's okay. 
In part to address what's been going on in Vancouver and Toronto, CMHC put in these stress tests over the last couple of years. Right. That makes it harder to qualify for a loan everywhere in the country. So when you're a federal entity like CMHC, it's hard to do regionally tailored policies. But is, it, but is having the stress test uh, good policy? Is it good thinking uh, to help protect the taxpayer, as you say, against mortgage default. Well, this is where you run into the tension between you want to give those first-time buyers who, who want to be in the market for the long run a boost, while at the same time uh, not having too much escalating prices. One way I like to look at it is there's a fact that's missing from this discussion, and that is when you have first-time buyers bidding on condos, who are they bidding against? If Probably you've got first-time buyers, well, right. if, if, yeah. well, I, I, I don't know statistically, and I'd like right. to know. If it's one first-time buyer against four baby boomers, it feels mean to tell only the first-time buyer, "Sorry, we're going to kind of pull the plug on your ability to borrow with this stress test." Now he can't get into the market. Right. Okay. If it's, on the other hand, five millennials, all first-time buyers bidding against each other, if CMHC says, guys, you've been trying to out-jump each other to be the highest bidder, but one of you is going to get this property no matter what, we're going to tie all of your hands. Mm -hmm. And so none of you gets to bid that little bit extra by taking the 95% loan to value that you can barely make the payments on today, let alone when rates grow. Mm -hmm. So if we tie all of your hands... One of you is still going to get the property. You're just going to pay less. You're going to put the taxpayer at less risk. You're going to make lower payments down the road. The only loser is the guy who sold you the property. And that guy has been doing fine, so we're not worried. Right. So that's a bit of a question. So you see the trade-off of whether it's good to constrain first-time buyers or not is partly determined by the extent to which they're competing with each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good point. So I think on balance, the stress test, given where we are probably in the housing cycle was a smart choice by CMHC. If risky loans where you can't satisfy the payment test that the stress test imposes that says you're not qualifying at today's interest rate, you're qualifying 2% higher, if it's such a great idea to lend people more money than they can qualify for under the stress test, let the private sector pick up the pace. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And then the losses are to uh, people who know what they're getting into, and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the stress test was the right choice, but the problem is it is blunt. It's a single instrument for the whole country. Right. And in a city like Calgary, you don't have a giant problem of home price escalation, almost the opposite. And so a first-time buyer there says, what are you doing in, in the market? You know, Why are you pushing down first time or demand and their ability to get into the market when we don't have a home price problem. Mm -hmm. Enter this home loan program, which is going to be uh, more broadly available in places like Calgary, where uh, you know you don't have a lot of five hundred twenty thousand dollar first time buyers to the extent you do here, mm -hmm. and so a greater fraction of the population is going to be able to use this product on a, on a decent property. Uh, and that's a way around the stress test in a market where the stress test is less apt than in a Vancouver or Toronto. And that takes us to the feature versus a bug, that if you have more impact of pushing people into the market in places where the stress test inappropriately pushed down the market, and less impact in markets like Vancouver and Toronto, that's a feature, not a bug. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the short run. That's where we are in the cycle. In the long run... 
I think the real gain to this program is not what it does today in letting a few more buyers in on the margins. The real benefit is this is potentially a demonstration product. Uh, what do you mean, demonstration? Yeah. So home ownership is a zero one typically. Either zero, you're a renter, you're at the landlord's mercy, and that's unpleasant. But you don't have any exposure to home prices, which is nice. You can build your own portfolio out of stocks, bonds, whatever, small business, and mm -hmm. you don't worry about housing. But if home prices go up, it's a real problem. Alternatively, as a first-timer, you can put down 5% on the, on the house, get a CMHC-insured loan, and now uh, the house is worth uh, 20 times all of your savings. So you've got 2,000% or so of your wealth mm -hmm. in a single asset. You know, your mother told you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You're putting 20 times all your eggs in a single basket. Somewhere in between would be you own a share of the house. You have control of it. There's not a landlord, but you've got an equity partner. Mm -hmm. So somebody else is taking some of the risk. It's been hard to make that work. The private sector economists have known this is a good idea for years, but it's never really taken off. Why? Well, Investors you are cautious. Right. You know, a new product, a newfangled mortgage, borrowers are going to say, I don't know if I trust you. Investors are going to say, let me see a track record. Yeah, and who People, am I investing with? Who's my partner going to be? Uh, how much are they going to try and control what we are going to or not going to do with that property? It, it's a hard contract to write because yeah. if you're the equity partner of a buyer, first of all, how do you divvy up the returns? Because when you own a house, you get two things from it. You get the dividend every year of not having to pay rent. You get mm -hmm. the, the rent associated with the house after taxes and expenses. And then if the property value goes up, you make extra money. If the property uh, value goes down, you lose money. Mm -hmm. CMHC is going to take the gains and losses in home prices, but they're not going to get the dividend. So just cutting a fair deal with the borrower in that way is challenging. Mm -hmm. And then you get into, well, wait a second, what if the borrower games it a little bit? They're going to want to sell, get out, and trade up when home prices fall. When prices are rising, they're going to say, wait a second, you know, I've given up a part of my equity to CMHC. Maybe I don't want to sell now. Maybe I'll wait till prices fall. There's a worry. Mm -hmm. uh, and the longer the borrower stays, that's more dividends that uh, the borrower's gotten that the uh, co-investor has not. It's a challenging product to make work, truly. But it's a potentially great idea. So I think if the government— Because it does uh, close that gap for people in certain markets that— maybe miss out on the eligibility otherwise. Well, in, think about Vancouver and Toronto, mm -hmm. and, and this gets a little heavy, but today we've got interest rates on treasuries going out 10 years of less than 2% per year. Inflation of all prices is 2% per year, and I think most of us believe Vancouver and Toronto are going to grow in prices relative to apples and bananas and tomatoes uh, over time. So that means you've got price growth and rent growth in the long run, possibly in excess of interest rates. Mm -hmm. You can't value assets in that world. It turns out if the growth of rents is greater than interest rates forever, then an apartment in Vancouver is worth infinity dollars. Mm -hmm. And the part of the value of the home that is represented by what a owner-occupier can pay for the 30 or 40 years they've got left to work that gets small relative to the value of the condo, because the condo, or at least the land under the condo, is going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. And so in a low interest rate, high rent growth environment, it's starting to look infeasible 
mm-hmm. that a lot of people are going to truly be able to buy that infinity's worth of uh, growth yeah. discounted at a low interest rate. It may be that to get the broad middle into home ownership, to the extent that's desirable, you're going to need a deep-pocketed equity partner. So is that a way of saying that, okay, that we're out of the gate now, and this may be the first version, but future iterations of this program may address some market-specific challenges? It's going to be hard. Maybe the government will take losses. But if it comes out okay, yeah. uh, investors may say, hey, this is a good idea. You know, Instead of putting uh, 5% of the value in, we'll put in 50%. Yeah. Uh, so potentially, this is a really great idea. And uh, some government data may spur uh, in innovation in the private sector. If things go badly, uh, the people who've been uh, – Messing with this, and I and and you know the uh, truth in in reporting here. I've um, you know I've had conversations with people who who are trying to make these products work. Uh, should uh, the, the government provide any kind of data, I think that really is valuable to innovation in the private sector. You know, it's like flying a rocket to Mars. You know, you might say, well. What do we need to be on Mars for? I just don't see the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, th- there's not a great point, but but the spin-offs of that flight can be tremendous. You mm-hmm. know, there's not enough innovation when there's benefits to to innovation that everybody shares in. You're not going to have enough, and government innovation can be a good thing. And I think this is an example of uh, where it could be quite useful. So long run, it's yeah. the markets like Vancouver and Toronto that are where long-run first-time buyers are maybe getting the greatest benefits of this. And thus, we come back to the fact that you believe that this is a good start. It's innovative thinking. And uh, the more we keep our minds open to this, especially from government agencies, maybe we're going to be able to help uh, address some of the challenges, particularly for first-time buyers. There's real benefits here. One, you've got some dialing back of the stress test that has the greatest impact in markets where the stress test, you know, had the least justification. Two, you've got the long-run spillover benefits on R&D. Three, of all the ways you could have helped first-time home buyers, this wasn't bad. Now, Generally speaking, if you've got a problem of too many people chasing too few homes, the solution is not throw more people into the mix. It's throw more homes into the mix. Yeah. And the budget did have that with support for rental mm-hmm. through investment from CMHC. So as a cyclical matter and as a supply-demand matter, that's the good part of the budget. But in an election year, there's going to be some benefits for first-time buyers who are struggling. Mm -hmm. And if you compare this to the BC program, which said, you know, you used to be putting 5% down, and the way we're going to help you out in the face of a federal effort at stress testing is to remove that that barrier and have you put 2.5% down. Mm -hmm. The BC program said, let's put uh, less equity into homes, adding risk to the total government picture, and push more people into home ownership in the riskiest, highest-priced markets. Relatively, this has the advantage of actually there's going to be a bigger buffer because it's 5% down for the taxpayer, 5% from the government, 10% in the case of a new build. So the mortgage loan is smaller, Mm -hmm. and you're still retaining that 5% down payment requirement and just slightly modulating down the stress test. So of all the things you could – of all the gravy you could have thrown first-time buyers, I think this does – relatively very little damage in terms of overheating markets. As I hear you go through all these different variables in it, 
it's important to remember that uh, navigating your way through uh, the loan process, mortgages, uh, CMHC, all of this is complicated. And, you know, you, you're going to want to have the appropriate kind of uh, insight and assistance from somebody who actually knows what's going on here relative to your particular situation. Uh, anything that you do with the real estate market is complicated. But I'll finish off with this. Yeah. You believe that this is uh, a good start. Bottom line, I think this is... Uh of, of everything they could have done on the demand side, I think this is quite good. It doesn't exacerbate risk, and it potentially creates a demonstration product product with a lot of value in Canada and elsewhere. Mm, great. Okay, thanks. Thanks for coming in and sharing that. Real pleasure. Thank you. And that wraps up today's show. Now, just before I go, I want to encourage you to take in a couple of other Vancouver Sun and Province podcasts. The first is White Towel, hosted by Paul Chapman. Paul and a series of guest hosts bring you everything you want to and need to know about the Vancouver Canucks. And for all you news junkies on all things political in Victoria, you'll want to tune into In the House, hosted by Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. I also want to give one last shout out to our sponsor. This episode comes to you thanks to the support of Denby by Sandhill. Located in Langley's historic Murrayville neighborhood, Denby is a collection of just 64 premier semi-detached townhome residences featuring homes up to 1100 square feet patios that let you expand your living outside modern kitchens ample parking and storage and a walkable community that lets you live shop and play check out denbyliving.com and please join us for the public grand opening sunday april the 14th and experience master on main living for yourself Thank you for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, thevancouversun.com, and theprovince.com, and on the Vancouver Sun's YouTube channel, where you'll want to be sure to subscribe because you won't want to miss an episode. As well, I want to acknowledge Arnold Chang, Greta Gibson, and Derek Hader, without whom this show would not be possible. What a great team I get to work with. I'm Stuart McNish. Thank you for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. See you next time. Mm -hmm.